Hello and welcome to Friday Formula, a weekly podcast where this week we're hoping to make it through the whole recording without getting the episode deleted for exceeding track limits. I'm Owen Bellwood and once again I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you doing this week, Will? I'm good. The most exciting thing that has happened to me this week was my nan asked me what a podcast was because she'd heard someone talk about it on the news. But yeah, unfortunately, that was the most exciting thing that happened to me this week because the rest of it was spent watching the Portuguese Grand Prix. Yeah, it definitely was not as exciting as we're so far used to this year, was it? No, I mean, you um, actually did stuff with your weekend, which meant you kind of reclaimed some of that time back, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, so I had quite a hectic weekend and ended up watching the highlights on Channel 4 in the evening. And... It seemed like there was just as much in their hour-long highlights program as in the five-minute one that Formula One put up on YouTube. There wasn't a whole heap of action. No, it was It was a bit drab. And I think if you were a new fan watching for the first time, or if, if you'd been watched the first two races and you'd kind of expect WWE-style action at every single race, you kind of get in a big spoonful of the truth in that it's not always like that but you got to live through these races to get the good ones right yeah exactly and even though it wasn't the most action-packed event we've managed to pick out five talking points from from the uh, the course of the Portimao race uh, and we're going to talk through those now and we are going to kick off with the fact that it was quite quite a dull one yes there was some action. I mean, there was the safety car at the beginning where Kimi Raikkonen made the cardinal sin of just ramming his teammate. Yeah, supposedly he got distracted by a switch. Yeah, he said that in the interview, didn't he? He's he's getting old, clearly. <laughs> it's not often you see Kimi Raikkonen make a mistake, but, you know, having a crash because you were sorting the radio out is a little bit senile. <laughs> No, but he, he admitted it was his mistake and straight away, which was good of him. A real shame that it was on his teammate, but at least Antonio didn't get a puncture. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, for a race that had a lot of overtakes, it wasn't very exciting. No, and if you think back to the race we had there last year, which seemed really unpredictable, really exciting, and like we had Carlos Sainz leading at one point, whereas this year it was... A lot more kind of by the book and it was the same top three in qualifying and then it was the same three on the podium there wasn't too much unpredictability but like you said there was a few a few interesting moments like starting with qualifying it was nice to see Vettel up in Q3 for the first time this year yes I think the first time since midway through I think the Styrian Grand Prix last year or something ridiculous yeah, so that was a nice change in fortunes for him, which was good. And then um, also I wrote down that Ocon seemed to have an excellent qualifying as well. So that sort of built it up to be quite an exciting little spicy race. But unfortunately, when it came to Sunday, Vettel ended up falling down the pack. The Alpines had a few nice moments, but there wasn't really anything to mix things up. Yeah, and even the opposite of that with the shock, and it was really a shock of Daniel Ricciardo going out in Q1. You know, you expected to see him make his way back up the pack, and he did, but 
it still felt like an unsensational drive to get back up to, to ninth place where he finished. I think, personally, it's because of the enormous straight. You know, the cars don't necessarily have particularly low downforce setups for, for this race, but when you plunk a massive straight like that, it's the only place they're going to overtake. And that kind of was true. And they added a second DRS zone, and that was the only other place there were really any overtakes, which was a bit of a shame. It was a lot of DRS-assisted overtakes on the straight, and then sometimes into the corner as well. But it's sort yeah. of just a bit, oh, he's got past him, oh, we'll get past him again next lap. Yeah, and similarly, I think when you have a race like this where there are a lot of backmarkers, and it become, I had the driver tracker on at one point, mm. and there were just cars everywhere. And it makes you realise that, like, you might see a gap that's closing down and you think, oh, that might get a bit tasty. What's happened there? And it's just because the car in front's got stuck behind traffic. And that doesn't resolve itself. Like, it just becomes more boring because they've all got to navigate the traffic. And, well, no one wants to see that. An incident like what happened with Mazepin and Perez. God. No, that was quite a scary moment when he seemingly turned in on him without realising he was there. But... Well, at least he's got his first points in Formula One. They're penalty points, but he's got his first points. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually see him spin this week, so every time. No. Good, good for him. But we'll we'll come on to his teammate later, I think, which will be a bit more of an exciting conversation. So, if you were going to rate this race out of five, so like a give it a star rating, where where would it come? I'd probably go with a two. Yeah. It wasn't, like, it wasn't awful. There were still overtakes, um, and people like Lando Norris had some nice little battles, and then it was great to see the Alpines, both of them up in the points. But it was quite uneventful. It was like everyone sort of finished where you expected them to. Yeah. So that was nice to see. There weren't any major crashes and disasters and things, but it was just like, it was like standard. It was a little bit like one of those videos this is gonna be a, a weird analogy but you know you see those videos where someone's got like a drawer of nails and they're all higgledy piggledy and then they just shake the drawer and it order comes out and they all end up straight it was like that like there was a little bit of mayhem in qualifying where some cars were out of position but then you stick them on the track for 66 laps and they did just sort themselves out and get to where you'd expect them to be good for someone like ricardo bad for someone like ocon or Russell, who smashed qualifying. Yeah, that was quite a surprise for everyone to see him finish 11th in qualifying, which was his highest start for Williams today, I think, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was his best qualifying. Uh, a shame Nicholas didn't get through to Q2 this week. But George was saying that um, they were doing really well and were really pacey when the wind was low, and then it was just awful when it picked up. Which is a shame because there's clearly something in that car that could get points this year and everyone I think is egging them on to try and get them. Yeah, yeah. It was a shame with Williams and Russell's result and then Aston Martin as well with Vettel making it into Q3. Both of those seemed to have the one lap pace that could get them a decent grid position but then in race pace just seemed to struggle a bit and Whereas people like Ricardo were finding their way through the field and the Ferraris a little bit as well. The Aston Martins and the Williams were just slowly 
dropping down the order. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's half credit to the other cars as well. Like, there was some good radio from Alonso where he was overtaking, I think he overtook one Aston Martin and was like, right, who's next? And it was nice to see him get a little bit feisty. But again, actually, we didn't really see much of that when we watched it on telly. It's all in the highlights. It very much focused on the top three battle, which rightly so, they should have, but it wasn't necessarily the most exciting battle for like half of the race. No, and that, that does bring us on nicely to our next point, which was the finishing positions of Valtteri Bottas, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. So it started in qualifying again with Bottas securing pole, which I don't think too many people would have predicted going into the weekend with how close Max and Lewis have been. No, and it's nice to have uh, three different pole sitters in three different races and see him really redeem himself from, from last week where he was absolutely awful. You tell him like it is, Will. <laughs> well, he was, wasn't he? I think we saw it a couple of times last year with Bottas as well where in the first run in Q3 he does a decent lap and might be faster than Hamilton and then Hamilton brings it out of the bag for the second run and takes pole and like Max catches up but that didn't happen this week because the wind seemingly must have picked up for the second runs in Q3 and mm. no one went faster and uh, he managed to bag himself pole position yeah yeah he was kind of aided a little bit by Max did set the faster time initially but then it got deleted because uh, of the track limits which we'll come on to a little bit later on but that did kind of set it up for what we thought was going to be an exciting start because obviously Max and Lewis are leading the championship at the moment. They're both going to want to get past Bottas in the first lap, but neither of them did. And they just sort of stayed behind him for a while. And it wasn't really until we had the safety car restart where we got any excitement with the top three. No, it wasn't until uh, lap seven when uh, Max got in front of Lewis. I think that was just after the safety car, wasn't it? And then they kind of they swapped again. I think Hamilton got back in front of him a few laps later. And Valtteri looked pretty strong for like the opening 20 laps before Lewis got in front of him. But then it all, it all went down the pan a little bit. It was a good overtake when Max and Bottas had a pretty good battle, didn't they? And there was a nice overtake from Max on Valtteri later in the race. Just after they'd both pitted for new tyres as well, wasn't it? So Max got the undercut pretty much so that he had... To temperature in his tyres so that when Valtteri came out of the pits he was a lot more prepared to pounce on any mistakes. Yeah I think Red Bull are always going to be the the ones to push the the pit strategy this year. I think they're all they're going to be in the driving seat with that kind of stuff because they always seem to be the ones that try something a little bit different especially we'll get on to Perez later but what they did with him was or set him up for what was an incredible race the result wasn't really astonishing but he had a he had a brilliant race when you put it into context. But in terms of the top three, it would be nice, I guess, for it to become a top four in the next few weeks and see if Valtteri can hold on to that third third spot as the big three. Something I was kind of surprised to hear over the team radio this weekend was to hear Toto Wolff coming on to talk to Bottas, saying, you are the quicker car, catch him, when he was still behind Max. Because they were obviously thinking we need to get these points to keep the lead of the Constructors' Championship. And usually it's just driver and engineer having that conversation. So to hear Toto pop in and tell him to speed up, that came as a bit of a shock. 
Yeah, Toto doesn't really do that with Lewis, doesn't he? You don't really hear him come on and say, come on, Lewis. It's always Valtteri, and I think he needs that pressure almost. Lewis doesn't need that pressure. Yeah, is it support from Toto or is it pressure? And you don't always want the boss coming on and telling you you're doing a, or you need to up the pace or keep the car behind you. It could be supportive. It could be, you know, you need to buck up a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and we did have um, quite a few moments where Bottas was complaining that he didn't quite have the pace. Um, and there was a, I think there was a sensor issue at some point where he thought he was losing power, but it was just some little gremlin in the engine. Despite his moans about lacking pace, that didn't stop him from setting the fastest lap of the race. And that was probably the most exciting part, those last three laps when Perez, Bottas and Verstappen were all trying to set the fastest lap. So it's not even like they were battling on track. They just wanted to set a good quali lap again, pretty much. Yeah, it did just seem like a quality session, didn't it? And even Lewis thought about getting involved, which, like, uh, ridiculous. You're 35 seconds ahead of the lead and you think about pitting to go for fastest lap. I think you can probably let this one go. <laughs> yeah, when Lewis's engineer popped on, he was just like, nah, we'll give it a miss this week. Yeah, they seemed a lot more... Um, Lewis seemed a lot more jovial this week. He seemed a bit more chilled. Uh, I noticed he was, like, calling Bono bruv a lot more. And... It seemed like a, a weekend he was more comfortable with than the past few, I think. So yeah, it seems like Lewis Lewis is settling down into like this championship fight a little bit more, getting a little bit more relaxed. Equally, it seems like Sergio Perez is getting a little bit more relaxed in his second driver role at Red Bull, because he had an interesting race. Yeah, and that was the next point that we're going to pick out to talk a little bit more about, because... Everyone was quite excited to see what Perez could do in the Red Bull, and I don't think the last two races we quite saw his full potential. So he seemed a lot more comfortable and a lot more at home in the car this week. Qualified fourth, and although Max had his time deleted in qualifying, he was just one-tenth of a second off his teammate when it came to forming the grid, which was pretty great to see how close they were. Yeah, I mean, you could even argue Perez was even a little bit disappointed that he wasn't closer after what happened last week in uh, in Imola where he out-qualified Max. But it's nice to see that, you know, it's not just a one-off weekend. It's it's so difficult talking about whoever's in that second Red Bull seat because you don't want to jinx it. It was nice to see two Red Bulls on the second row, I guess, like where they should be, mm-hmm. which is weird, but like the last two seasons that just hasn't happened. No, no, and with that it came kind of more possibility of them being able to attack the Mercedes and mix up the strategies to try and split the two of them up. Uh, And it meant they just had more more to play with on track. When it came to the start of the race, Perez had a few little wobbles, so he kind of lost a position to Lando, Norris and the McLaren, and ended up having a few little dicey battles with people like Carlos Sainz as well. But it was his strategy in the end that helped him climb back up to fourth and pretty much stamp his name on it. He was kind of out on his own in fourth for a little while towards the end, wasn't he? Yeah. I I think the whole battle at the beginning with Lando was maybe just down to him being on the mediums and Lando being the first runner on the softs. So Not that it was expected that he was going to lose the place, but it was always going to be harder for him than it was for the three in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if he falls behind Lando, he's got more work to do to catch up and that pack's just going to drive away into the distance and it's, it kind of ruins his race a little bit. But yeah, he ended up doing 
a monumental stint on those mediums, didn't he? 52 laps before he finally pitted. Crazy. To the extent where Lewis was calling for blue flags when he came up to overtake him. Yeah, I did think that was quite funny. He was like, why are there no blue flags? No, Lewis, you are racing. (laughs) But had, I mean, I know it's not the circuit for it to happen, but had there been a red flag, Perez is on to win the race. That would have been incredible. If there'd been a late safety car or something, he could have really just walked away with all of that huge advantage. Let's be thankful for what we've got. We've got a Red Bull driver picking up 10 points. Like, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> fourth, fourth place was a nice, solid result for him. Yeah. Um, picked up the points, like you say, Red Bull needed. But he's definitely showing that he's a lot more comfortable and that there's definitely more to come from the uh, second Red Bull seat this year. So another major talking point of uh, the Portuguese Grand Prix this year was track limits and drivers exceeding them, which was something we saw quite a lot last year and quite a lot of the last few races. And I think everyone's beginning to get a bit tired of it, but it was back with a vengeance from Friday until the end of the race, pretty much. Yeah, I don't mind track limits, but I don't want to get to the point where Max is having an interview thinking he's got the fastest point, fastest lap point being told it's been deleted and then him disagreeing with it because there weren't track limits to that corner like again mm. they, they're rules that should just be stick, stuck to and consistent they were clearly watching them because Yuki Sonoda had like two track limit warnings by <laughs> lap three yeah yeah. supposedly it was turns one five and fifteen they were the ones that the stewards were going to keep an eye on and I read um, read a WTF1 article that said 65 times were deleted just in Friday's practice sessions, which is wow. insane. Yeah, I guess practice is where, where you want them to be deleted, though, isn't it, and find that limit? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want it to be when Max Verstappen set in the fastest lap in Q3 and then it gets deleted. Yeah. yeah. All I can say is roll, roll on Monaco. <laughs> what, where the track limit is just a wall? Yeah, exactly. Apart from, let's say that, two years ago, um, didn't Lewis cut the Nouvelle chicane while he was battling with Max? So you can't even escape it in Monaco, but at least don't go on as much. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, um, we had Yuki Tsunoda getting a few warnings for exceeding track limits, um, and then we had a few overtakes where the commentary team were like, was that outside the lap? Are they going to have to give the place back? And then, like you mentioned with Max Verstappen, him crossing the line thinking he'd got fastest lap and then Paul De Resta saying to him, nope, sorry you don't. It's such a strange situation to be in. And I kind of feel like it is going to be something that recurs throughout the year, everywhere except Monaco by the sound of it. Yeah. I, d- I just think it needs to be... A l- I think we've had this conversation before, but it needs to be a lot more clear-cut. Like... Mm. Let's just have, if your four wheels go outside the white line at any point, your track your time has been deleted. That's it. None, none of this, like, oh, yeah, but the red and white curb is involved. If both your wheels go on the red and white curb, you're not on the track. Delete it. It's done. It's over. It should be, like, all corners rather than just 1, 5, and 15, because why is it different at those corners compared to turn 4? And I don't think the drivers on their track walk should be like calculating their lines based on 
all right, I've got to be in the white line here, but actually, how far can I push to get both my wheels just touching the red and white curve? Like, here, like, it doesn't make any sense. The, the circuits have been designed with every corner being a specific challenge. You know, Tilka isn't sat there designing these circuits thinking, oh, well, the curve that they put in there is the perfect addition to this track. <laughs> just get rid of it. I hate it. And I understand this, the whole element of pushing the car to the limit and being right on the edge. So maybe every now and then you slip out a little bit. But when it's drivers taking this wider line so that they can stay on the power longer, it just it shouldn't be allowed and it should be policed. But it needs to be policed consistently and in the same manner at every circuit. Like if it's if they're saying it's the red and white curves, it's always got to be the red and white curves. If they're saying it's the white line, it's always got to be the white line. Stop making it confusing. And we're on race three, and that's seven points now that have had a controversial mm. track limits decision, and that's just for like the top points playing positions. We've had Max had to have to give back six points effectively to Lewis in Bahrain, and then we've had him lose one on fastest lap and it doesn't seem like a lot but seven points over the course of three races lost by Verstappen essentially would have put him way above Lewis and if that carries on happening and I'm not saying it's going to carry on happening to Max every race but that's a lot of points that are going to be decided based on arbitrary rules that change from race to race and you do not want to be at a title deciding race where you have the same kind of incident that you had or here or at Bahrain. Yeah, especially because everyone's expecting it to be quite a close battle between the two of them. I imagine if that's the decider at the end, it's going to be very anticlimactic. Yeah, and it's something that as we haven't really seen because the fastest lap rule came in last year as well. During the race, track limits are now applied like they are in qualifying as well as that kind of overtaking if you overtake off the track, which we haven't seen before. And I think last year it didn't really matter because no one really went for fastest lap that much because it didn't really matter because Mercedes mm. were going to win the title. But this year, that's 23 points up for grabs. They they all count. Yeah, and even in the midfield, how all the teams there are so close together, if they can sneak in with one extra point, it's going to make all the difference for them as well. So... It's obviously great to see everyone trying to get these much faster laps when they can, but it just makes the policing of them not so much more annoying, but it makes the need for it to be consistent so much more important, I would say. Yeah, and you could get to a situation where, say, Perez or Bottas fall out of the top 10 with four laps to go, and they're rival has the point for fastest lap if it doesn't look like they're going to get back up into the top 10 they're going to pit from like 12th or 13th to try and take the fastest lap off them and sure that's great but it doesn't really seem like racing does it no no it's like he said earlier on it feels like additional qualifying sessions yeah which is not what not what you're there for on a sunday should we talk about something a little bit more fun, less controversial? Are you saying Hass are less controversial? I'm saying Mick Schumacher is less controversial. <laughs> that's very much uh, 
tale of two garages. Yeah, the uh, the final point we made uh, on this year's Portuguese Grand Prix is that Mick Schumacher finally overtook someone and he finished in 17th and it was brilliant to see. I think everyone was pretty happy with it, apart from one person. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be, I'm a little bit surprised he didn't get driver of the day because for throughout almost the entirety of the second half of the race, he was within a second of Latifi. And it was it seemed like such a difficult race to follow someone at. And he managed it, and he forced Latifi into the mistake. And mm-hmm. there's progress. There's real progress there. Yeah, and it was kind of nice that it wasn't, like we said earlier on, Every all the other overtakes seemed to just be DRS, DRS, DRS. So for him to be lap after lap staying so close behind Latifi... So that then, as soon as he made that mistake and ran that little bit wider, Mick was ready to pounce and have him, basically. Yeah, and hopefully it's the first. It will be the first of many. Let's hope as well that it's a sign that the uh, guys at Banbury are actually pushing that car forward and maybe finding a little bit of pace, because mm-hmm. I know they're focusing on their 2022 car. But it'll, it'll be nice for them to be a little bit more competitive this year. Yeah, like no one's expecting them to get points and things, but it'd be nice to see them racing with the... I mean, it, realistically, it's going to be the Alfa Romeos and the Williams uh, towards the back. So it's nice to see that this is the first, and hopefully there'll be more. The other side of the Haas garage, though, was one minute slower, I think, by the end of the race, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, the interval to uh, Latifi was one minute and four seconds, which is not fantastic. His fastest lap was half a second slower than Latifi as well. Yeah, and in qualifying, Mazepin was like 0.6 of a second off Mick Schumacher as well. But yeah, to bring it back to to Mick Schumacher, obviously he made his his move on Latifi and while at Imola we heard his engineer coaxing him back in and being like don't worry you've got this keep your head down his engineer came over and was like great job that's how it's done keep up the good work which is really nice to see it's yeah. like the complete opposite of what we saw with uh, Grosjean and co last year when it was like why can't you do better <laughs> so whereas everyone was a bit worried about obviously walking into Haas where they've said we're not going to develop the car like how good an environment is that going to be for a young driver? But it seems like, in Mick's case, they really stepped up to the plate and they're making sure that he feels at home in the team and in the sport, which is exactly what you need in your first year. So to see him overtake someone on his third race, hopefully we'll see a little bit more of that and him just get slowly up to speed and more comfortable and at home in the sport. Be interesting to see if the dynamic at Haas has changed when it comes to Series 4 of Drive to Survive, because I don't know how they're going to be able to edit good guy Gunther Steiner <laughs> after the last couple of seasons. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. So they were our five key talking points from the Portuguese Grand Prix. Uh, and now, as is tradition, I think this is the third time we've done it, so it's now officially a tradition. We're going to give you our one-sentence review of each team's performance in championship order. We're going to alternate. And so Owen is going to kick us off with Mercedes. 
I've gone with exactly what was needed to retain the lead. And then, so Mercedes are first. Second place is Red Bull Racing Honda. Will, how have you described their performance? Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> <laughs> McLaren. Lando in the lead. Redemption from Ricardo. Closely behind McLaren in the championship is Ferrari. How have you described their weekend? Average weekend, signs needs to speed up. Next on the list is one Alpine F1 team. Mm-hmm. Upgraded car bought double points. With nine points is Alpha Tauri Formula One team. Good Gasly, Sonoda too slowder. Aston Martin. Quick in quali but lacked race pace. And then we're into the teams with no points so far, so Alfa Romeo Racing. Uh, old Man Raikkonen ruins Romeo's race. Next up is Williams. Signs of progress and points will come. And then in 10th place in the championship is Haas F1 team. Dodgy Nikita strikes again, but signs of progress from Schumacher. That was our little rundown of this year's Portuguese Grand Prix. What did you think of our descriptions of all 10 teams there? You can let us know what your one-sentence review of each team would be on Twitter. You can reach out to both of us at Friday Formula. That's where you can find out more about the show and what kind of things we've got coming up. Or if you want to talk to each of us individually, I am at Owen Bellwood. And Will, you are? I am at Will Longman. That's been our look back at the Portuguese Grand Prix. This is a double header. So next week we will be back with a review of the Spanish Grand Prix. But ahead of that, we're going to try and pick the podium finishers. So Will, who do you think is going to come first, second and third in this weekend's race? I think it is going to be Max, Perez, Lewis. Red Bull 1-2, how about you? I am going to go Lewis, Max, Lando. Because I always hope that there's going to be someone different in third. So that is all to come next week. And all that remains to be said is thank you so much for joining us this week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our thoughts on the weekend's race. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you again next time. Goodbye. See you later.